Welcome to 15 Minutes of Mental Toughness with your host, Dr. Rob Bell. Dr. Rob interviews expert coaches, executives, and athletes about mental toughness and their hinge moments. The hinge. It connects who we are with who we've become, and it only takes one. And now for your host, Dr. Rob. This segment is brought to you by our sponsor, SOS Rehydrate. It's an organic electric drink mix as effective as an IV drip. It's proven by science and used by world-leading athletes because only the best will do for peak hydration performance. I use it myself and love it. Check them out at www.ineedsos.com. Welcome to 15 Minutes of Mental Toughness. I am your host, Dr. Rob Bell. I have a newsletter coming out pretty soon. This newsletter, I've watched dozens and dozens of mental toughness documentaries, and I've got a list coming out, top 10 mental toughness documentaries. Our guest today is on that list because of one of the documentaries, which is titled The Ultimate Triathlon. We'll talk about that today. Now, the ultimate triathlon. So it's 2,000 kilometers. This is from Monaco, Morocco to Monaco. Uh, for the non-metric, it's about 1,200 miles across 12 days. You're going to watch this documentary because it's absolutely fantastic. It's a pity of mental toughness and many different angles, which I hope to, uh, to explore here. Also, though, our guest uh, has been on the top 50 fittest athletes in the world in 2016 reason why is because on top of the ultimate triathlon completed a, a marathon disable it's it's pretty simple uh, ultra really because it's uh, it's a six-day trek 250 kilometer across the sahara desert uh on, on top of that one has run down mount everest and one of my favorite ones is uh He's run through a tropical rainforest in China with, with no supplies and with a plane to catch. It kind of sounds like a, a video game that we could actually play. Uh, this is a pro, uh, past professional soccer player, and this guest has also openly discussed uh, his battle with depression. Our guest today, I think he puts the er in endurance. This is Luke Tybersky. Luke. Thank you for joining us. Oh, mate, what an intro. That's fantastic. I want to I play that video game and I want to watch that documentary. You built it up massively. Thanks very much. Well, that's how impressed I am by it, man. Um, let's start with this. So 15 Minutes of Mental Toughness. Uh, talk about your mental toughness and, and teach us. What is, what is mental toughness? So, so mental toughness to me, if I have to sort of put it into a sentence to say to start with, it would be the mind's ability to stay focused and endure in order to progress. So that would be a very sort of blanket statement. But in reality, it's using your mind to help you overcome obstacles and adapt to setbacks to achieve your goal. That's the best way for me to sum it up uh, as well. That's excellent. So in terms of the ultimate triathlon, there are many facets of mental toughness that I found that came out of this. 
number one, I think the first thing is, is, is two days before this race starts, you've prepped four years for this race. Two days before the race starts, there was a major change in the overall plan. Um, now with most professional athletes, they are obsessive to the degree. And you know, how, uh, tell us about that adversity and how you, how you overcame that one. Yeah, so what you're talking about is the change in the swim. So for four years, I created this event, the ultimate triathlon from Morocco to Monaco, where I was to swim and this just sounds ludicrous, you know, I did it over two years ago. I was going to swim from Africa to Spain. Like, no matter how you put it, um, it's crazy. Um, from Morocco to, to Spain and four years of playing this, two years I'd spoken to a boat pilot who was going to drive the boat next to me so I went across safely spoken to him emails on the phone a couple of times and we get down to the most southern point in Spain where we're based and then the plan was which we'd spoken about for two years yep 45 minute trip over to Morocco I would jump in the water go over touch Africa put my hand on that continent mm -hmm. and then a whistle would blow and then I would just swim back to Spain 20 kilometers and yeah yeah that was the plan 20 kilometers yeah the things don't always go to plan and then what happened was two days before we had a, a briefing with the with the boat, with the pilot, with my crew, four four of them, and that was it. That's all I had. And the guy said to me, "So you want to swim from Morocco to Spain?" And I said, "Yeah, exactly. What we've been speaking about for two years." <laughs> and he said, "It's going to be more difficult." And I said, "Yes." I understand this, we've spoken about that. And he said, it's also going to be potentially twice the distance. Mm. See, this is this is the catch, because I've been training to swim around 20 kilometers, you know, give or take with the currents. But then he's talking about 35 to 40 kilometers. I, I'm not physically trained for that. Now, this is where the mental toughness comes in. As you said, professional athletes, I've been there. You know, if I turn up to a game as a professional soccer player and I've forgotten the main pair of soccer cleats that I want to wear and I have to wear my secondary ones, that's going to mentally upset me. Yeah. So here I am, something that years I've been planning for and I have to do it the other way. Now, I'm not going to lie, you'll see in the documentary what it meant to me. I got quite emotional. Mm-hmm. And not so much when we're having the discussion with the boat pilot, because what literally like a switch just flicked in my head, I said, okay, and this happened within seconds. I can't argue with this guy because the distance is going to be twice the distance and I can't change that. So straight away, because I can choose my attitude, no one else, I know I have control of my attitude, which is part of mental toughness. Straight away, I didn't focus on the things that I couldn't control. Mm. So I couldn't control that the distance was going to be twice as much. I focused on the things that I could control. Right there and then, I had to focus on, right, to swim from Spain to Morocco was around the 20 kilometer mark. That's what I trained for, that's what I had to focus on, and that was in my control to make that decision to swim the opposite way. So I got through the meeting at the briefing and then we went outside and because I had this documentary made, 
everyone just said, set the camera up in the alleyway, which is quite literally what you saw, and they literally hit record and stepped away. Mm-hmm. And all I did for about, honestly, there's about 30 seconds in the documentary, but it was about 15 minutes. I just let all my emotions come out of how it made me feel. But the point I'm trying to make is when we get hit with setbacks, whether they come from left field or whether we even know they may happen or whether we don't even know they could happen, we have to focus on the things that we can control. Yeah. And we have to discard the things that we can't control. And I think having the the mental toughness, the ability to stay focused, which is the first part of, of my initial sentence, to stay focused on what we need to do to achieve our goals, that's what got me through that point. It's excellent. You know, on top of that, I mean, I believe that champions adjust. One of the things that struck me so much, you know, what you were trying to do by itself, very, very difficult. You had a team that was with you, did an amazing job. A couple of the pieces, what I thought, and we kind of messaged back and forth, there were a couple of times they sent you off in the wrong direction. There was a time where, and, and this is nothing against team, but this is life, like these things happen. You went off in the wrong direction. I know how I would have reacted. Um, you know, there were a couple of times where the team, you know, gets stuck in traffic. They're 30 minutes behind you when you're completely done for that day. Um, you know, food checkpoints and these roadblocks and even the, the direction we're going to go in. I mean, me and my wife were talking like, don't you think they would have had that stuff? Like we get stressed out from watching it. Um, talk to us. How did you make those adjustments when these things start to go wrong and, and maybe it's the same exact thing but I was hoping you could talk about that yeah so things like the crew setting me off in wrong directions um, the radio not working um, you know there was one stage where the only time in the whole film the only time in the whole adventure really that you could see that I was upset was there was this one time when the sun went down and I was expecting to see them in an hour. So I can cycle for an hour by myself. I've got plenty of food and whatever. But they didn't give me a jacket. And all they gave me was some food and that was it. And they put lights, a high-vis jacket on me, but just a, like a vest. And I had my short sleeve cycling jersey on and the lights on my bike, so that was fine. But I was expecting to see them up the road, put a warm jacket on because when the sun went down, it got cool and it got cold. Mm-hmm. Now, people can say, well, I'm a grown man. You know, I'm 35. I should be able to ask for my own jacket. But part of the crew's job was to literally treat me as if I was an infant. Yeah. They had to put food in my bag. They had to tell me to eat. They had to refill my drink bottles. And they had to say, cycle that road until you see us, and then we'll tell you where to go. Because my job is to swim, cycle, and run. Right. Their job is to get me from Morocco to Monaco. So that one night when they didn't give me a jacket and then because it was very difficult for them to park on this road because it was one straight stretch over this esplanade, I didn't see them for like three hours. And by the time I got to them, I was freezing cold. I was freezing, freezing cold. My teeth were chattering as I was cycling. Wow. And and what really got under my skin, and, and you can tell by the documentary, there's not a whole lot that really gets under my skin and really gets the blood boil, which I'll touch on why in a second. Yeah. I pull up to this area where they'd stopped. Lights, like the hazard lights flashing in the van, and I pull in, 
And they all had these thick down jackets. <laughs> of course, on. man, drinking coffee. Yeah, because <laughs> it's cold. And I come in like a shirt and I'm just like, are you warm? And they're like, yeah, it's a bit cold. And I was like, where's my jacket? Hey, here's some extra gloves. Yeah. And I had some I had some food then, but it was very quiet. And even my girlfriend at the time, which she's now my wife, because she stuck with me throughout the Ultimate Triathlon, so I thought she's a keeper. She came over to sort of console me because she could see I was a little bit upset. And I just gave her a look that wasn't a dirty look, but I just looked at her as if to say, I'm okay, but just leave me alone. Mm -hmm. So that's about as angry as I get in everyday life. Not only when I've been cycling 300 kilometers and with still 80 to go and I've not seen my crew for three hours and it's about 35 degrees. But the reason why I don't get upset and the reason why I don't yell and scream or whatever is it's a waste of energy, mm -hmm. okay? I would rather, if I need to get that frustration out, I will put that into driving on the pedals if I'm cycling or taking an extra stroke when I'm swimming or focusing that energy where it's going to help me. Because if I yell at my crew or if I just yell out and scream and act like a child, then no one's, it's not going to help anyone. And that comes down to having a very strong understanding that we all control our attitude. Mm -hmm. Not an external environment, not a scenario like this one that I was in or the swim leg, not the weather, which is my favorite living in the UK where there's only one season and it's always horrible and everyone complains about the weather. It's, not, it's none of that. We control it and it's very powerful if we know that we get to a situation and it's less than ideal and it's even potentially going to push us back that, okay, let's take a deep breath, let's, let's check this thing out, look at the positive, look at the negatives, okay, now what attitude am I going to choose that's going to A, help me, B, help others around me and C, help us move forward to achieve my goal. And those type of scenarios, that's what got me through, was actually knowing that I can choose my attitude to help me get to my end goal, and it was up to me to make the right choice. Yes, excellent, because I really think that you do a great job with the positivity all the way through. I was amazed by it. You're obviously being in control of your emotions for everyone that's gonna be listening here. Is this a mindset you have to have going into it? Because I just can't imagine that unless that's your overall approach to, hey, bad stuff's gonna happen, I gotta remain in control of my emotions, that it just kinda happens. Do you, is that, do you kinda agree with that? Yes, but you've gotta do the work prior. Yeah. Okay, so I actually had a conversation with, uh, with someone today about it. It's quite, it's quite funny, it's a perfect timing. And we were talking about the swim, and he had swum across different countries and no islands before so he's done open water swimming and he said did you get that feeling of I don't know what's underneath me? so the water could be three four five miles deep and you can only see ten foot underneath you yeah. but just get that sense of what is underneath you and I said not at all not when I was swimming because I spent four years visualizing thinking about everything that could go wrong Everything could go wrong. And even to be morbid, like I, I visualized getting my leg bitten by a shark. Right. And I visualized getting hit by a, a semi-trailer while cycling on my bike and still being conscious with my crew not around me. Like these are the things that I visualize 
And I went through this process of what would I do? You know, if I got bitten by a shark, I knew I had a boat next to me, so I'd make sure that they know that I was in distress. And, you know, I'd get my fingers ready to poke it in the eye so I wouldn't come back for another bite. And it's, it all sounds very funny, but this is how I prepared mentally. Yep. So when these setbacks came, I had this, almost like this, this, this databank stored in my head. Yep. Where it was like, actually, okay, I'm a bit cold for two hours or three hours on the bike. Now I'm with my crew and I can put warm weather gear on. This is actually not that bad because I've prepared for a lot worse. So I don't need to waste that energy. So it's easier for me to choose that attitude to help me move forward because I've done the mental preparation before I even began. Yeah, I think that's overall just absolutely fantastic. Great preparation there, man. Um, in, the, in the documentary, you get injured. And again, from, from watching him, I mean, it seems like your hamstring just completely tears at one point in this race, yet you just keep moving. And I think when we watch it, it's like, not, not if he's going to quit, but, but when, when's it going to happen, you know? And rightly so, because I mean, it's got a torn hamstring here. I mean, this guy cannot put any weight on his leg and you just keep moving. And you've talked about digging deep and thinking about other people who have helped you here and the people that you influence. Talk about that, uh, how that motivates you, how that, that piece that no one gets their loans, you know, kept you going. So yeah, there's two ways that I want to answer this. So the first one is, and I'll get to the team in, in a second because yeah. it's very important, but to be able to overcome the obstacles like a muscle tear, you know, I strained my hamstring, but then that led to the quadricep tear, which is I think you're talking about on yeah, the run. Yeah, yeah, sorry. Um, yeah, so I, I, my quadricep was tearing badly at the junction where all um, four of the muscles sort of meet. That didn't now, hurt too bad, right? I was horrible. <laughs> that was so painful. <laughs> but. Where I want to start with this answer yeah. before I get into what it's like with the team and the people that have helped support this is you've got to know why you're doing this. And this is every this is for everything in life. Whether you want to run a 10K, a marathon, do an Ironman triathlon, or start a business, or you know, become an entrepreneur, or go for that new job at work, go for um, you know, the new role that's came up that you want to apply for. You have to know why you're doing what you want to do, why you want to invest time, energy, money, sacrifice other things to achieve what you want to achieve. And you have to have clarity in that why. And I always think of it as there's two levels of knowing your why, and I'm massive on knowing your why. Yeah. There's the superficial and the deep-rooted. Now the superficial one is just sort of something that sort of skims the surface. For me, it was, for the ultimate triathlon, is I wanna see what I'm physically capable of and mentally capable of. So it's, it's a bit more ego driven, you know, I'll be honest, you know, I, I did a thing that no one's ever done before, I had a documentary made about it. I would be completely lying if I said it wasn't slightly ego driven, honest. That's the superficial one. Mm -hmm. The deep-rooted why is, and this is the thing that will get you through when you're in the trenches, when everything's going wrong, when you've torn your quadricep, you've still got 500 kilometers to get to Monaco to achieve your goal, 
This is the thing that's really going to push you forward. And the reason why I kept going and the thing that kept really ringing true in my head was the fact that I have an opportunity here to keep taking one step forward. Mm -hmm. And as long as I keep taking one step, I'm going to get to the end goal of Monaco. Now, having a documentary made, having this streamed on social media and being very active on social media with my team throughout this, I knew people were watching. And I thought, if I give up now, all my fans and all the people that are going to watch this are going to go, well, he gave it all, but then he gave up. I wanted to see what I was truly capable of because I wanted to inspire others and open their mind up to to show them that we're all capable of more than we believe. Mm -hmm. Like if I quit right then and there, no one would say anything negative about it, it like he gave it his all. But I said to myself, you've got a torn quadricep, what if you just take, keep taking one more step where you get to the end? And I did, I kept taking one more step until I was forced to actually completely adapt and change what I needed to do to get to the end result. And that's a whole nother story. So knowing your why and being really clear and that initial, oh, I want to do this, I want to run a marathon because all my friends in the office are doing it, yeah, great, fine, but that's superficial. So I want yeah. your listeners to actually go, okay, why I'm doing this? The first reason that you come up with is normally it's a superficial one, but dig deeper and get into that deep-rooted one because that's got what's going to help you. And then the second part to this question was the team. There's no way that I could do this by myself. Mm -hmm. And it's about surrounding yourself with like-minded people and people who will tell you what you need to know, not what you want to know. Mm. And that's, that's very important. And we had several meetings together with my crew. And just to be clear, my crew was the filmmaker, one guy who created the whole film and did it all, uh, a husband and wife uh, who are co-founders of 33 Shake, the sports nutrition company that's a sponsor of mine, and also my girlfriend at the time, now wife, who was an osteopath, and she was my medical team. So that was my crew, four people. Now, we had meetings to say that, right, the goal is to get me from Morocco to Monaco, and Jay, the filmmaker from Physique Media, he had to capture it all. So I even said to him, look, if I get hit by a truck, grab the camera, get five seconds of footage, put the camera down while it's still rolling, and then come and put my skull back on. You know, because this is another opportunity to show people what we're capable of, you know? And it's a, it was an opportunity for me to actually give people uh, almost like this, like this documentary, this actual movie of this is real, and this is real life, it's not Hollywood. So I can see what actually a real person is like. and. And as I said, the team is very important because we had to be on the same page, getting from A to B, i.e. Morocco to Monaco. And we also had to understand that when I got hit with setbacks and when things got really bad, we couldn't just go, okay, we should stop him because we're all friends of Luke and we don't like to seem like this. No, we had to go, okay, how do we get him back on his feet to moving forward? So when I tore my quadricep, you don't see them going, okay, I think this is enough, you should stop. You see my my girlfriend taping up my leg. You see the rest of the crew, do you need food, do you need whatever? Okay, just keep walking, doing a good job. 
because we knew the goal was to get from Morocco to Monaco however we could. You know, one of the things I always say is your why has to make you cry. If it doesn't, it's, it's not your why. It's not deep enough. I like that. Luke, if you want to borrow it, man, you can't, buddy. Oh, I'm, I'm going to borrow it. I'll credit you, but I'm definitely going to borrow it. Because I'm going to borrow the deep-rooted part, for sure. <laughs> no, it's so fantastic. Uh, one of the pieces we talk about here on the podcast is hinge moments. And every door has a hinge. Hinge is that one person, that one decision, or one moment that makes all the difference in our lives. And since we can't connect the dots looking forward in life, we can only connect them looking backwards. What's a hinge moment in your life that you want to share? Oh, I've got a lot of doors in my life, oh, mate. Oh. I, I think one of the biggest ones, because we're talking about the ultimate triathlon, my, my 2,000 kilometer in 12 day um, swim, bike and run from Morocco to Monaco, I think it should hinge around that and pun intended. Um, Very nice. <laughs> it was when I first created it and I started to tell people. So when I created it, I did it by staring at a world map with nothing but adventure on my mind. Now. In saying this, I just retired from football, from soccer, and I hadn't ran more than 10 kilometers in one go. I didn't own a bike. I cycled on a mountain bike as a kid, but just as to get from A to B. And I could barely swim a length of a swimming pool. I could swim growing up in Australia. Most kids learn how to swim, but you know, to swim like 50 yards, I would be out of breath for half an hour before I could do it again. So with that as context, I saw the Strait of Gibraltar, which is between Africa and Europe, uh, Spain, and then I saw the coast, southeast coast of Spain, which is, I thought, I'm going to cycle that. And then I saw this gap between the next two countries, which is the south of France, before you got to Monaco. So I created this route, I did some research, and I found that it was 2,000 kilometers. And I just pulled some numbers out of my head. I think I can cycle 300 and I think I can cycle 220 miles this day, 200 miles this day and whatever. And I came up with 12 days. And the hinge moment was is when I started to tell people. Now this is four years right. before I completed it. I set myself a target of four years. And I spoke to professional triathletes, professional cyclists, marathon runners, um, elite marathon runners, uh, Ironman triathletes, all these type of people, and they all said, it can't be done. Can't be done, yep. And I, and I said, watch me. And then I said, okay, I'm, I'm gonna do it in 12 days. And a couple of them said, okay, let me go away and figure it out. And this is where the hinge moment came. Okay. They said 15 days. I said, we think you can do it in 15 days, but no less than that. And I, and I said, do you think you could do it in 15 days to these athletes? And they said, yeah, if I had like a few years to train, I think I could do it in 15 days. And I thought to myself, I believe that I'm mentally tougher than the person in front of me, because I truly believe that there's no one else on this planet that's more mentally tougher than I am. I agree. Now, I, I'm not saying I'm the most mentally toughest person in the world. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying I believe, comes from self-belief, that there's no one else more mentally tougher than I am. And I thought, if he believes he can do this in 15 days, 
then what if I tried to do it in 12? And what if I believed I could do it in 12? And what if I focused for four years on all my training, on all my preparation, to do this in 12 days? Then what was possible? If it happened, it happened. If it didn't, it didn't. But I wanted to see if it was possible. So right there and then, I threw the door right open, cracked open the hinges, and I just went, right, I'm all in. And I think a lot of hinge moments can be a turning point in life. And that for me definitely was, because it was a time where I was quite low. I was battling with depression, with injuries from ending my soccer career, and I needed something to throw myself into. Mm -hmm. And I had this self-belief that I can do it in 12 days. I'm gonna prove to people that I'm gonna do it in 12 days because they don't believe me. And then I turned that external motivation into internal motivation to say, all right, I believe I can do it, I'm all in, let's go after it. It's wonderful, man. You, you, you touched upon depression. It's, it's still, I think, uh, stigmatized a lot even though people say, well, the stigma is removed and all that. I mean, I, I don't think people, I know people that are listening to this suffer from depression. What, what do you recommend? Like how, how did you seek help? It was a journey. It was a journey, that's for sure. So I, I battled for many years before I spoke about it with anyone. Mm -hmm. um, I had a girlfriend at the time. I didn't even speak to her. I lived in the UK. I lived in America. My parents were in Australia, didn't speak about it with them, and I just kept it bottled up inside. One, because I didn't quite understand why I was feeling like this. I was a professional athlete. I, I was living the dream. You know, as a four-year-old boy, I remember saying, I want to play professional soccer. That was it, and I was living it. And I almost felt like I shouldn't feel like that because I my life is amazing. And... I had to justify it to myself and it's not right because you feel how you feel and sometimes you can't help that. So I went for years without talking about it and it got worse and it got worse and it got worse to a point where I thought, okay, I'm not ready to talk about it with people I know. I wasn't there in my journey but I wasn't living life and that was the big thing. Mm -hmm. I was locking myself away in my bedroom. I was lying about my whereabouts, you know, like, oh yeah, I'm out going for a walk. In reality, I'm in my bedroom still. Oh yeah, no, I'm I'm going to have a meeting with a client or a meeting with a friend. No, I'm just there by myself. So that's not that's not right, that's not living. So I actually went to see a therapist, a psychotherapist that I didn't even know because I thought I can be whoever I want there. Mm. And taking that first step. It was hard. I probably cancelled three or four sessions before I actually went. It probably took me six months to pick up the phone to make that call. I felt ashamed. I felt little. I felt weak. Um, I felt all these things. Um, and when I got into the room and actually started to talk, they started to be removed slightly. And then over time, I'm very much a person where teach me to do something and then let me sort of figure it out for myself 
and, and let me sort of put my own twist on it. You know, give me the plans, show me how the plans work with the key and everything like that, and then I'm going to go on and have my own little play with it. So after I did some, some psychotherapy for myself and I got some tools with that, I went away and practiced that myself. And then over time, I realized actually I don't feel shame because I want to actually talk to people about this because I know that they could help me. So I literally chose one of my best friends. And initially it wasn't, oh, Daryl, by the way, I've got depression, did you know? And I feel pretty crappy at times. It wasn't like that. It was just, hey, Daryl, can we have a chat sometime? And he's like, yeah, sure. Went and had a coffee or just called him on the phone. Can I call you sometime just to have a chat? And he's like, yeah. We didn't even talk about depression, but I made that connection with a close friend that, can we just chat? And he didn't ask why, he just said, yeah, because we're really close friends. And then there's, co there's regular conversations, or when I was feeling down, I'd give him a call and we would talk about, you know, the soccer on the television, or, or let's meet up and go somewhere for dinner one night, or just anything. And then once I started to talk to close friends, I started to talk to my family about it. And, and the thing that really stopped me was because I thought that they would look down on me and I thought that they would be negative towards me. The complete opposite happened. Yeah. They embraced it. They opened their arms up. They gave me a hug virtually and literally and said, it's okay. We're so proud of you that you actually can talk to us. Now, it went years before I became, like, I spoke about it publicly, but it was still my journey and I felt this weight was lifted off me. And the other thing that I really want to really focus on now is when I start to talk about it, mm -hmm. it does make me feel better and it lifts this weight off my shoulders, but now when I have a depressive state or when things get down, I don't try and fight it, whereas before I used to. I acknowledge it and say, okay, you're here, we're not going to fight, I'm going to see what I can do in my day. Can I restructure it to make it a little bit less hectic or a little bit overwhelmed? Because that's a trigger for me when I have too much on and I become overwhelmed and things aren't going the way that I'd hoped. Um, sometimes that can be a trigger. And I'll just let it come in and I'll acknowledge it. I won't fight it. And then just say, okay, let's let's walk together and let's see if you just can't move on while I'm still here. And that's that's been really beneficial for me. Wow, that's fantastic, man. The one question I always ask every one of the guests is, what's what's one piece of information about mental toughness, even though we've run the gamut here, what's one piece of information that you want to share with people that, hey, this is what you need to understand, this is what you need to do in action? One thing we haven't touched on is, I want people to look at failing and failure as a positive, and lead into it, don't lean away from it but the key is the key is when we fail or when we don't achieve what we actually set out to achieve know that we all have a secret tool in our toolbox and that's the power of reflection because if we fail and we reflect on that failure then we gain knowledge and then we can use that knowledge through the reflection with hard work to give ourselves another opportunity to succeed. So I want the listeners to don't worry about if what you want to achieve is really tough and you may fail 
because there's no negative to failing. Because if you don't fail, you achieve your goal. Boom, that's winning. If you do fail, you reflect on it, you gain knowledge, so that's a positive, and then you're more, um, you have more insight, and you can go again to try and achieve it. And if you fail again, you've progressed because you've gained that knowledge. So I want your listeners to lean into difficult things and don't look at failure as a negative, but look at it as an opportunity to achieve, learn, and gain knowledge to move closer to the goals that you want to achieve in life. You, you have a YouTube clip on that. I'll have to put that, uh, put that in there as well. One of the things I like to share is like failure is an event. It's not a person. So that's fantastic, man. Luke, where can, uh, where can people follow you, learn more about you? I'll obviously put the links in the podcast, but if, if you want to share that, please. Yeah, so my, my center hub is LukeTaberski.com. Um, just look at the links. It's a long name, so it's difficult to spell. <laughs> Um, but if you know how to spell it, you put it into Google, I pop up everywhere. Um, the film is on my website as well. You can just Google The Ultimate Triathlon. It's on Amazon Prime. And I'm Luke Taberski on all social media. I'm very active. Um, I like to put in uh, content that's insightful, that gives value. Um, I would say 90 to 95% of the content I put on will make you think, will give you value, will give you something to go away with. Occasionally, I'll put a photo of a pair of running shoes on there but um, most of the time it, it, it gives you value and that's what I'm all about because my life philosophy and I believe everyone should have a life, life philosophy is to learn daily and teach others what life has taught me so if you go to Luke Taberski on all social media I hope that what life has taught me I can pass on all that knowledge to you and help everyone achieve your own goals in life. Cheers mate so awesome thank you so much. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you very much for having me on. Thank you for listening to the Mental Toughness Podcast. If you like what you heard today, please be sure to subscribe to our podcast. You can also check us out on Twitter at Dr. Rob Bell or visit our website at drrobbell.com.